Uh, we're delighted to be able to, to worship uh, together. The, the phrase that's been on my heart, you know, this morning, even as I was driving into to church, is just the, the ongoing faithfulness of God. You know, that God continues to be faithful to us in our various aspects of the journey. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that as we bring uh, to closure today this series on the wondrous cross where we've been hanging out for the last seven weeks or so. Uh, before we get to that, I, I want to mention just a couple of things. First of all, I love this time of the year. Uh, the Things are getting warmer. The weather's getting nicer. I came out this morning, and I looked at my beautiful green car, and I realized I, I don't have a green car. Did anybody else drive a green car to church this morning that, that was not previously a green car, but something kind of weird happens this time of year where everything gets a little coated? Um, yeah, I, the other thing I want to mention is... Um, First of all, we, we just want to encourage you in, in the spirit of generosity. In this month of May, we've been talking about um, just trying to lean into our, our giving here at the church, catching up on a couple of areas. And as you can see reflected in your bulletin, uh, we give a little update every week on that. You can see just wonderful giving that's been happening. And so that, it's, it's not only a blessing, but it's a way that you can say and that we can say together we're in. It's a tangible way of being a part of the work that God's doing here. And really, it's, it's too many things to count at this point as I'm looking at various testimonies and various lives and various ministries and things that are happening. And so I just want to say thank you for your ongoing spirit of generosity. Uh, what a wonderful thing to see God working in that direction. So today we're going to conclude the series, The Wondrous Cross. We have been scratching the surface, and probably not any deeper than that, but scratching the surface with you as we have pondered the cross and the myriad implications for you and for me. And today we're going to read two scriptures, uh, beginning with sort of the event that followed Christ's crucifixion, uh, as recorded in Matthew 28. Uh, we're talking about the resurrection of Christ, and then we're going to look at the importance of this event as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So Matthew 28 and 1 Corinthians 15 will make up our, our primary scriptures for today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and flip to Matthew 28. I want to read for you a little bit of a longer passage, but verses 1 through 10, and trusting that the Holy Spirit will even speak to you now as we look at the Word of God together. So Matthew 28 reads this way, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. Verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. 
May God have blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So we're going to start at this passage. This is the event that follows the wondrous cross. So Jesus worked on the wondrous cross. He was buried, and he was in the tomb for three days. On the, on the beginning of the week, they go to the grave to see it, and they find that he is not there. He is risen. We are resurrection people, meaning that everything that we believe, everything that we attempt to do in the name of Jesus has its root in the work of Christ on the cross and the truth of the empty tomb. So without these things, we really have nothing, which is the implications we're going to look at today. But before we get into that, I want to just take a moment. You know, we're, we're celebrating Easter. as If we do it right, we're celebrating Easter every week of the year, every day of the year, because we are resurrection people. I love this phrase, and I want to just lean into it for a moment. There's a lot that we could look at here today. The women that encountered the empty tomb were afraid, yet filled with joy. And it strikes me as I read this that that's actually not a bad posture for us. Uh, speaking of good postures for us, am I too loud for anybody else here? Why don't we turn me down? I, I know our sound guys, they just love like lots of me, but we're just going to tune me down, just, just tone me down, just, just a hair, that'll be good. Because that way if I, if I start getting loud, then we won't, hurt it. we won't hurt people. Afraid yet filled with joy. We don't want you to be overly afraid. Afraid yet filled with joy. So I find this interesting because this passage begins with the angel saying, don't be afraid. And then Jesus meets him and says, don't be afraid. And yet here in the middle, they're afraid yet filled with joy. And I think that's a good posture for us. It's, fear is a nuanced word. All throughout scripture you hear, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. We preach all the time, don't fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And yet we also know that Scripture tells us that there is a fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. A fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So there, this is a nuanced word. And in this case, I think what we see here is something that is a good posture for these people and a good posture for us to be in. They were afraid, yet filled with joy. It strikes me that this is kind of the premise on which every amusement park is built, right? Like we want to push the, the level of fear, but with the idea of bringing joy. How many of you are, uh, really like the amusement park experience? You ride the biggest roller coasters, you do the, the biggest thing, the craziest stuff. Raise your hand boldly because you're already a bold person, right? So you, you like that kind of stuff. I've ridden tons of roller coasters. I love roller coasters. I love that experience and, and experiencing that with other people. And so I was, I was thinking a little bit about this idea as sort of the, the fear but the joy. There's a fear and there's a joy. And I think that going with Christ and saying yes to Christ when he, when he calls us to walk with him, there's, this, there's a fear you don't know what the next turn is necessarily going to bring. You don't know what the next calling is going to bring. And yet, as we learn to say yes, then there's a joy with this. In fact, there's an incredible joy, a much greater joy than ever living for ourselves. So I was thinking about the, the, the amusement park experience and in my catalog of all the different things and the roller coasters I've ridden and the different things that I've done. I think perhaps the most pivotal, fearful, joyful experience for me was the Sky Coaster at Kennywood Park. Has anybody ridden the Sky Coaster? That's the giant swing. You know what I'm talking about? So it's the big swing, right? And they pull you up. And the crazy thing about it, yeah, some of you are like, no, 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 no. Not going to do that. 
But the crazy thing about this one is that once you are pulled up, I didn't realize that you pulled up, you're going to be basically looking straight down at these little tiny people walking around, and you feel very exposed. And then to launch, you have to pull your own ripcord. So, like, you have to initiate the, this whole thing. And so, like, you know, you just, it goes through your mind, like, do I really want to do this thing? You know, and you got to kind of screw up your courage, and then you just, you let that thing rip. And it's the most exhilarating and fun experience. So I was thinking about that kind of experience, kind of wild. I also was taken to an experience that I had at Del Grosso Park, not too far from here. Some of you have actually seen the video of Chad Oberholzer and myself riding the Extreme Tower. Does anybody remember that? Chad actually showed that in a sermon a couple of years ago. We went up this thing together. It just takes you up and drops you down. You know, I mean, it's pretty simple. So we're dropping down, and I'm screaming. We get to the bottom, and Chad's screaming as we go down. And and I stopped screaming when we got to the bottom. And Chad did not stop screaming for a while. (laughs) The video is so fun and so precious. It brought me incredible joy to have that experience. Fear and joy, fear and joy. So here these women are, and and something is happening that they don't fully understand, and they're afraid. They're afraid, but they're full of joy. There is something about that kind of experience. You know, I, I sort of pray that for you, and I pray that for me, that we would have that kind of adventure with Christ. You know, where you don't, you don't quite know where this is going to go. You don't quite know what the calling might entail. You don't quite know what the risks might call for. You don't quite know what the sacrifice might be. But you know it's good because you're with him. And they knew it was good because something was happening. In this case, he wasn't there. And they expected to see his dead body. Afraid, yet filled with joy. We started this series, and I, I've been thinking a lot. I, I was even felt a little emotional this morning as I was just thinking about like the starts and stops of life. So we started this seven, eight weeks ago, and, and we're bringing this th- series to a conclusion now. But then the Lord's got a new thing for us, and a, a new teaching, and a new season, and new calling, new challenges that he's going to bring. And so I, I sort of thrive in that, sort of the starts and stops. And, and I spent some time this last week just going over some of the things that that we have, have taught, and we, start, we started with a commentary from Matthew Henry where he says this, come and see the victories of the cross. And, and that's what we've been doing just a little bit, trying to see the victories of the cross, see what Christ has actually done. Christ's wounds are thy healings, his agonies thy repose, his conflicts thy conquests, his groans thy songs. Did you meet the Lord today in worship? Did you sing a new song to the Lord? Did you sing an old song to the Lord? Did you sing to the Lord from your heart? That is possible because of his groaning and his suffering. His pains thine ease, his shame thy glory, his death thy life, his sufferings thy salvation. So we have been in this series trying to say, what, is it, what happens when we look at the cross? What happens when we sit in the shadow of the cross? What happens when we wait on the Lord in that way? And it's important that we do. On Good Friday in, in our service, we were gathered here. That was one of the real special moments for me over these last several weeks. Good Friday, we, we met together around the communion table, and several of you were there as we met together at the broken body and the shed blood of Christ and to look across the table and to see brothers and sisters in Christ and the equal footing that we share 
at the foot of the cross. When we look at the cross, we see Christ. We see God who made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. We see that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's what we see when we look at the cross. And if you remember on that Good Friday service, we talked about Moses and the snake in the desert. The Israelites are being bitten by snakes. And so God says, make a bronze snake. And, and when the people look at it, they will be healed. Like looking at the very thing that they were afraid of. And then, and then God would use that experience to bring healing. And then Jesus says, you know, just as the snake was lifted up in the desert, so I'm going to be lifted up. See, when we look upon the suffering and the death of Christ, we receive his sacrifice that brings us life. We find that death no longer can hold us because the curse of, of death is broken. C.S. Lewis actually said it this way. I want you to think about this for a moment as we're, as we're kind of coming to this, this notion today of what followed the cross was the resurrection. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Miracles, he said, Christ is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. Just think about how he says this for a moment. The pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has not been locked or that has been locked since the death of the first man. Christ is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. So I want you just to grasp this in your mind for a moment. Like what Christ has actually done going down into death. And you would say, well, you know, other people are purported to have come back to life. Jesus raised Lazarus back to life. And we, we read about that sort of shortly before he went to the cross himself. But Jesus Christ went down into death himself. He didn't get resuscitated. He didn't have somebody come in and rescue him. He went down in and conquered death. And that had never been done before. He was literally forcing open the door, as C.S. Lewis says it, in a way that has never been done. Now, I want you to understand, this is not a lucky win. You know what I mean? All of us love a good underdog story. How many of you like a good underdog story? Some of you are old enough to remember the miracle on ice. I was like five years old when that happened, so I didn't really remember it. I had to watch the movie later on. Uh, Miracle on Ice, you know what that is? The, 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 the unstoppable Russian uh, team uh, going up against a scrappy group of U.S. Americans who put their heart and soul into this thing and actually won. I mean, it's unbelievable. Did I say U.S. Americans? I did. Uh, so the American team won, and, and they said later on, they said that if those teams had played like a hundred times, like the going bet was that the, the, the Russian team would probably win 90-plus of those, maybe 99 times, but it was that one time that the greatest upset maybe in, in hockey history was pulled off. That's a great story. We love those kind of, uh, kind of underdog stories. Uh, I love the story of, of James Braddock, Cinderella Man. You see the, the movie, James Braddock, who, who won the, the heavyweight boxing uh, title fighting Max Baer. They said if Max Baer had fought him 10 times and he had taken the first one seriously, he probably would have beaten him 10 times. There was no way that he should have been able to come back and, and make that win. And yet he did. And we watch the movie and we hear the story and we love it. It's a great underdog thing. And that is not what happened when Jesus went down to fight against death. 
It's not. He didn't get lucky. He, he didn't pull off like an upset that, that probably would never, he'd never be able to pull off again. He definitively destroyed the greatest enemy that the human race has ever known. And then he came back to life and established himself as the resurrected Lord and Savior. Now, here's, that, that's the event. And so, so when you read the Easter story and we're Easter people and we celebrate resurrection, this is the, the centerpiece of our faith. And it's the centerpiece of our faith all the time. That's why it's not weird to read the resurrection account, you know, seven weeks after Easter or six or whatever it is. But here is what I want you to see today when we talk about the resurrection. I want you to see as clearly as possible the implications that Paul draws to that particular event. I'm gonna read you just a few selected verses from 1 Corinthians 15. Here's what he says. And if Christ had not, has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Fast forward to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Fast forward to verse 24. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom, of, uh, the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he, that is Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want you just to try to grasp in your heart, in your mind's eye, in your spirit the implications of what it is to be resurrection people. So celebrating the, the wondrous cross doesn't matter if we don't understand what Christ has done after the cross and how important this is. And here is what Paul is essentially saying. The resurrection of Christ is the critical culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry without which everything else becomes muted and meaningless. And that's sort of the second and final point that I want to look at in this message with you today. The resurrection of Christ is the critical culmination of Jesus' earthly ministry without which everything else becomes muted and meaningless. You, you, you understand the word linchpin. Do you know the word linchpin? Linchpin is that thing that if, if it is removed, the whole operation falls apart. The linchpin holds the operation together. So the definition, in a literal sense, this is a locking pin inserted crosswise, like at the end of an axle, and it holds on the wheel. If you were a farmer and you had a wheel on your wagon or something, the linchpin holds that thing on the axle. So if you really wanted to jeopardize somebody that you were at opposition with, you just pull out the pin, boom, and eventually their wheel is going to fall off. And when their wheel falls off, the operation shuts down. That's the literal definition. It has an applied meaning as one that serves to hold together parts or elements that exist as a function or a unit. This could be a person. This could be a, a piece of evidence. If you said the linchpin in the defense's case, etc. So what Paul is saying here essentially is this, that in everything that we do, in everything that we believe, 
and everything that we strive to achieve as kingdom people if we don't understand the resurrection. And if the resurrection is not a thing, none of this matters. Not a song that we sing, not a service you attend, not a service, act of service that you do, essentially nothing of this matters. So I was thinking about this a little bit. Okay, two, two examples. I wanna look at one example and then just kinda do a, a look back with you for a moment because I think this is important for us in light of this series. I remember when I was in college, I was riding my bike uh, to the uh, bicycle shop on College Avenue. I had something that needed to be fixed on my bike, so I was riding in. So I ride in. And uh, I'm talking to the guy about the bike, about the thing, and he says, did you walk this bike in or did you ride? And I said, why would I walk my bike in? Who does that? You know, I said, no, of course I rode my bike in and stuff. He goes, this bike is not safe to, to ride. And I said, do tell. <laughs> you've, you've got my attention now. He goes, well, the wheel is held onto the frame by a, a bolt that goes across, and the bolt is held in place by a nut that's in place, and that nut is not even there. So essentially, your frame of your bike is resting on the front wheel, like a good bump, and then I, and I started thinking about how fast, I don't, see, I don't ride slow, you know what I mean? So, especially when I was in college, you know, so I'm tearing into da, 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 all this stuff, and this, this thought sort of haunted me, like how fast was I actually going, and what actually happens at that speed when your front wheel just falls off? You could probably YouTube it and find out. I did not want to find out personally or whatever. But that's that whole idea, that linchpin idea that like the guy's saying like, no, this is important. Like you have to fix this. If this is not fixed, if this falls out, the whole operation goes bad and you're in a whole lot of trouble, right? So this, that, that concept of the linchpin. Now I want you to think for a moment of where we've come over these last several weeks in this series. Think about all of the implications of all of the things that we've talked, all the scriptures we've looked at, all the challenges in our life. So we talked about the great reversal of Christ. To be changed by Christ's great reversal, we must undergo our own reversal, take up your cross, give up your glory. We talked just after Easter about being always grateful uh, but never satisfied, remembering that God doesn't owe us anything. He's already given us so much, but to celebrate every commitment, every step of faith, every God sighting, but then also believing that God has more for us if we indeed have access to God. Perhaps he's in fact inviting us to go deeper, to expect the supernatural, to pray for a greater outpouring of the Spirit. To say, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but demonstrations of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Some of you were very moved as we talked about Christ in all of Scripture. He said, oh, give me that list. I want to see that list of all the ways in which Christ shows up in Scripture, as if it was exhaustive, which of course it is not. That Christ-centered hermeneutic, Luke 24, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture and the things concerning himself. We talked in this series about humility, keeping us from becoming reckless in our call to be barrier breakers. 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So we, we talked for a couple weeks about being barrier breakers and comfort givers, and I wanna tell you this as a, as a sidebar to a sidebar, just bear with me for a moment. I've been so encouraged as I've heard first from dozens and now from scores of you about your grappling with calling 
And there's a sincerity to your questions and the, the things that you're wrestling with and the feedback that you're giving. I see a willingness in your hearts to be in step with the mission of Christ. That's awesome. So like I said, scores of responses representing a vast field of calling and care. This has been a representation of the body of Christ doing the work of Christ empowered by the Spirit of God on the mission of Christ. It, it makes me, as I look at it, get a little bit afraid but full of joy, right? Because I'm not sure where all this is going in all of your lives. But if it's from Christ and pointing toward Christ, it's going to be a great adventure. So I'm celebrating that literally this week. So thinking about all of these things that we just said, all the way up to your own calling and your own commitments and those things, and here's what Paul is saying. All of it is meaningless apart from the resurrection of Christ. Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. You know, this one strikes me a little bit because I spend a little time doing <laughs> preaching. You know, so, I mean, some of you are teachers, some of you are preachers, some of you, you know, you, you share the word of God, you put time in to, to try to hear from the spirit of God, what he's calling you to say, and you're trying to handle it. Paul's saying, yeah, I do that, and it is absolutely worthless apart from the resurrection of Christ. Ephesians 4 is actually your job description if you find yourself in that calling of being an apostle or prophet or evangelist or pastor or teacher, and some of you wear those titles and serve in those ways. Ephesians 4 actually says, yeah, yeah, if that's you, that you are called to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is actually your job description. I don't know if you know this. This is why you use your gifts. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So these people, like me, like Dan Men over here, like Chad, like Aiden, like different teachers that we have here, your calling is to help the, the body of Christ mature as you speak words of truth and mixed with grace and all of this so that we might all collectively become more like Christ. Speaking truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect mature body, mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And Paul is saying all of that worthless apart from the resurrection. He goes on to say, you know, if the resurrection is not a true thing, bad news, you're still in your sin. Like you're still stuck. Like all of the times that we celebrate the freedom that we have in Christ, the freedom to be broken away from the old nature. No, you're still in your sin. He, it's even worse, he says, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. This is why I'm so glad that in every funeral where I speak, I'm able to say, we don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. And I'm gonna keep saying it because that is one of the great promises. Paul's saying this, look, if the resurrection isn't there, the people you've lost, they're lost. They're gone. And he says, and if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. This is his argument to say the resurrection matters. What happens after the wondrous cross matters. If you are in Christ today, embrace that. It is a gift of faith that you are able to say, I'm walking in the new life that Christ has afforded me. If you are not in Christ today, start with wrestling with the resurrection. Have coffee with somebody and talk about why in the world they would believe such an audacious claim. That is the place to start.
So I want to give you just a quick challenge, and then we're going to bring this message in this series to a conclusion. I think in some ways, what I hear the Spirit of God saying in the looking at the cross and the time we think about all that Christ has done for us and all that it means that he's died for our sin and and risen again, is that we need to find the anchoring points because life doesn't get easier as you go, right? The world's not becoming more sane. The world's not becoming an easier place to exist or coexist or whatever. So in some ways, like the rugged cross, the wondrous cross, the the risen Christ, all of these become a wake-up call. We have to ask the question, what are you actually living for? What are you actually trusting in? What is your true anchor in a world that feels like it can be out of control? Because when all of the pillars on which we rely are knocked out, how then do we stand? And, and here's what I think goes on in my own heart. What goes on in my own heart is like, I get that, I stand on Christ and his promises, his finished work or whatever. But what I actually hope is that I don't have to more than I need to, right? Like, I want the economy to be good. Like, I want the political, uh, you know, uh, arena to be successful and effective. I want the education system to work. I want people to be at peace. I, I don't want the, the world to be at war or rumors of war. I don't want natural disasters. I don't want climate problems or whatever. So, like, I want, I know I trust in Jesus, but in reality, I want all these things sort of to work out, too. The fact of the matter is, they're not always going to work out. And so the wake-up call is, when they don't, where do you stand? You get what I'm saying? So the wondrous cross kind of pulls us to that place as a wake-up call. And, and I think the challenge is this, that we are called as the people of God to live as if the resurrection is true. That's, that's the faith that we, that we purport. We live as if Christ actually has been raised from the dead, that we live and serve a, a risen Savior. And I think some of the marks that happen when we do that, it, it would look like this. I'll just give you a couple things. Here's, here's your little challenge, and then we'll conclude. You know, what, what does that mean, to live as if the resurrection is true? Well, I actually seek first his kingdom. That's what he, that's what he called me to do. Even and especially when it is costly to me. Like sacrifice. I gotta, I gotta lay down my life. I gotta lay down my wants, my, my, my likes, my whatever, for his kingdom. So I, so I actually have that as a mindset. Second thing is, this is just very practical, I pray with kingdom authority. So like if you believe that the resurrection was a real thing, like do you, do you know that scripture actually says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you? I'm pausing for dramatic effect. I need you to hear that. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. If you embrace that and you understand that and you're actually living that out, you are gonna pray with a kingdom authority. So when we call you tonight to say, hey, Living Waters Prayer Service, we're not saying please come because we just wanna get 10 more people. You know, we're saying because the lifeblood of the church is prayer and we need you to pray. We need you to learn to pray with kingdom authority. Because a church that understands how to pray with the kingdom authority is going to walk out their calling. So we learn to do that. Pray with kingdom authority. Living as if the resurrection was true. The third one is, you know, we receive Holy Spirit anointing. You know, last week we talked about pray, pray to receive. 
Ask God. Think about all the scriptures. Ask God. If you don't have wisdom, ask him. He's going to give without finding fault. Some of you need wisdom. You need direction. You need strength. You need patience. All of these various things. Lord, we're asking. We're ready to receive. This is kingdom living. This is living as if the resurrection is true. This is his power at work in us. And then finally, and this is just so beautiful, we come to really do business with what Jesus actually said. (laughs) Take up your cross. You take up your cross and you walk in the way of the Savior. And if you... if you really say yes to that, I guarantee it, you're gonna be scared to death and you're gonna be full of joy. <laughs> scared to death, full of joy. But you hear the voice of the Savior, take up your cross and walk in his way. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and lead us. I'm gonna just share these couple of words in conclusion because what I see is that everything is changed by Christ's work on the cross. I hope that in some small way you've been able to kind of wrestle with that over these weeks. The wondrous cross was an ugly instrument of death. It was wood nailed together and it had a purpose. It was torture and it was death. But Jesus carried his cross for every one of us. And here's what that means. It proves that every one of us has that deep of a need, right? So I'm not the protagonist of my story. I know we'd all like to think that we are. But that's actually what the cross is. I'm not the protagonist of my story. I'm the one in need of redemption. I am the prodigal son. I am the lost sheep. And in a lot of the chapters, I'm the villain, not the hero. And when I start to get that, I look again at the wondrous cross, and I see that the wondrous cross came as a sacrifice so immense that every offense and every selfish act and every lie and every injustice of every person who ever lived was actually being dealt with before a holy and just and loving God. So then nailed to a rugged cross, Jesus says, it is finished. And the beauty that we can see is that his sacrifice was complete so that our restored lives could begin so we walk it out we walk it out we walk it out I want to just read these words to you from Fanny Crosby 1869 she wrote these words near the cross Jesus keep me near the cross there a precious fountain free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain you may have a a healing need today You may have somebody say, Lord, I need to step into that water. I need a little help from you. Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star shed his beams around me. Are you thankful today? Are you thankful for a God who would seek you and find you? Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadow o'er me. That is a receiving prayer. God, help me. Some of us maybe need to pray some receiving prayers this morning. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. That's, that is a life commitment. That's a life commitment. 
So it doesn't end with the end of a series. It's just it's who we are. It's what we do. Lord, give us strength. And the refrain of that beautiful old hymn says, In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my ransomed soul shall find rest beyond the river. I shared this in the first service, and one of our uh, members came up to me, and he said, you know, I first heard that song uh, several years ago. He said, I was outside. I was just listening to something on the radio, and I heard that song. I never had heard that hymn before. Um, And he said, and it made me feel like I just needed some time on my knees. You know? It's like, yeah, I do. I get it. I get that. So we want to invite you today uh, as we close this service and this series uh, to the mercy seat, right? Come, spend time with the Lord. Whether you do that in your seat or you want to spend time here at the front, it may be that you need to find some grace or some help in your time. That's what Scripture tells us. It may be that as you, you, you come and bring a need before him, it may also be that you just need to spend some time at the mercy seat and say, Lord, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you have done. It may be that today you just need to spend some special time in prayer as you intercede. We would invite you to come to sit in the shadow of the cross. Would you stand? Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to get out of here, and we're going we're gonna to sing and respond. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the wondrous cross. We, we can't fully get this depth of sacrifice. But we stand in wonder. We stand in awe. We stand in gratitude of all that you have done. Would you continue to, to take us deeper, to lead us farther? And Jesus, as we think today about these, these hallmark pictures of our faith, these centerpiece things that we serve a Christ, who, a, a living Christ who, who died for us but then rose again, I pray that we would live in light of the resurrection and that that would breathe new life into us today. Thank you that you welcome us to your presence. We meet you here now in a special way. And all God's people said, Amen. If you need some time at the mercy seat, come up, wait on the Lord. If you need to just listen, worship team, why don't you lead us?